This is the Philly Soccer Show. I'm KWW's Greg Rolandini with Philly Soccer Page writer Mike Cervetio. We get you ready for the U.S. Open Cup final in Houston with the Philadelphia Union with Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times. In the studio, Mike Cervetio is always from Philly Soccer Page and Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times and The Athletic. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> Interesting day to talk about the Philadelphia Union. So if you told me these three games, Montreal, Seattle, Kansas City, you're going to get six points out of these three games. I'm like, absolutely. Let's do that. And wasn't the way I thought it would go down, but they got six points out of these three games. If you'd said that after they lost to Montreal, then I would have had you committed. Right. <laughs> Not only lose to Montreal, but... Look Get bad doing it by yeah. Montreal. I, th- I think Jim said it pretty, pretty, pretty good yesterday. He said maybe the biggest win in franchise history on Wednesday, followed by an even bigger win on on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't know which one's the bigger win. Yeah, yeah, because you know you have your B team against a really good Kansas City team, and you, you handle them, and then you have that miracle winning in Seattle. It's you know, it's just the, those two games. I don't know if they've had two games back-to-back like that in their franchise. I, nope. I think if you go back into 2013, there were a couple of weird results. There's a couple of big results in 2016. Yeah. I know they, they had not a, they had Not a, to this degree. I, well, don't I mean, think they, so. I remember I think it was a July 4th game. They had a big win in L.A. In L.A., yeah. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I think the thing that puts this in perspective, though, is the Open Cup Finals on Wednesday. Right. And you won two games going into that right. game after a really heartbreaking loss at home. It, no, no uh, for sure. And, I mean, this is as important a stretch as this team's ever had with the Cup, with those three games, kind of solidifying a playoff spot. Yeah. And if they can really just get ahead of steam going into the playoffs, that would be the first time they've ever done that. Yeah. Where they haven't kind of limped into the playoffs. Yeah, they, and, yeah, and the numbers are just... You know, they've won six out of their last eight games. Yeah. There's never been a stretch like that. I think Matt Doyle in his column today pointed out that in all competitions, the Union have won 16 games since, like, the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's unprecedented for, for Union history, considering that they've you know never won more than 12 games in the league beforehand. And obviously there's Open Cup games in there and stuff like that. But all the Open, all the open Cup games to this point, the four that they've played, have been pretty clean. I think there's mm-hmm. three clean sheets and, and stuff like that. So this has been kind of the manifestation of all that rhetoric for a lot of years of, well, we just need to go on a, on a hot streak and this will change things. This is finally that streak of, yeah. of stringing together wins that Jim Curtin and before him John Hackworth always talked about, and it's actually happening. And it's a little disorienting that it's actually happening. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of joked during that Montreal game that this was, a, this was the union team I'm a little bit more comfortable with. Like I'm, I'm, I'm more used to this. But, they, you know, you have to give them credit is that I think Jim Curtin has pressed the right buttons the last few weeks and the players have responded. You look at what Jay Simpson does. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's yeah. the kind of things that other teams do that the union never do. It's that was a, I mean, that was a bolt of lightning, what Jay Simpson did. That was like, like you said, you've never seen really that where a player that's been on the bench all year with the union. I mean, it's a tough thing to do, but, you know, he gets tapped on the back. All right, yeah, we need you. You know, kind of let's let's make some happen. More often, more often than not, those players haven't even done enough to prove themselves worthy of playing. Right. I, I think before some of the other Open Cups, I was looking back at the squads, and every time you were like, "Well, uh, Curtin's going to switch it up. He's going to bring in all these guys and this guy and this guy." 
he looked at all those guys and said, nope, this guy's not worthy of playing in MLS and just went with kind of a similar squad. This time, you, I think he made nine changes from Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And granted, you know, one of those is Boric, Dochkal coming back in and stuff like that. But it's huge, and you have to give credit to Jay Simpson as much as he has been criticized and dogged on by me and this podcast I, and every yeah. podcast in Uniondom. He has certainly not been the signing that he was supposed no, to be. No, but he has he has made, remained the good soldier, and, and he's never been a net negative. I, yeah, I felt for the guy because I always thought he was a victim of circumstances. He was brought in to play in a system that. He never looked suited for to be that lone striker. Absolutely. And he he was that lone striker Sunday and he backed two goals, which is amazing. But you know, but if you look at the totality of his stint here, he, he was the wrong guy for the system. They never changed the system. And then Corey and you know, Corey has a hot uh, CJ has a hot year, then Corey catches fire, and then you know, they sign Casper. I'm not thinking luck with the last name. Pushes Bilko. There you go. Pushes him far. Pushes Jay farther down the depth chart. You know he's that the the new signing's not ready to go, so Jay has to play, and then he gets two goals. I mean, it, it's it's been that, a, it's not supposed to happen like that, really. It's been interesting to me over the last couple of weeks since Corey Burke has become the number one striker, and they've moved CJ out to the wing. That Jay Simpson hasn't even made the bench the yeah. last couple of weeks because there's been no striker. Done You've been short a striker, and they never play Fab, uh, Fabian Herbers as a striker. So, yeah, and they haven't really played a calm as the lone striker up top either, right? Which he's capable of yeah. in in theory. theory. In theory, yeah. so we we talked a little bit about this before we started. Is there a place on the bench for Jay Simpson in the Open Cup on Wednesday? <laughs> I I can't believe I'm saying this, but yes, I I think and Mike and I kind of to, to take you inside the elevator of KYW <laughs> Studios, we kind of broke this down. But you know, you're you're going to bring seven field players. You're going to bring. Uh, a center back, you're going to bring a reserve outside back. You're going to uh, probably bring two reserve center mids just because Warren Craval and Derek Jones have played so well that I don't think you can justify leaving either of them home, particularly with Jones, him being a young guy. So that's four of six guys. You're going to bring El Sino if he's healthy, and all indications are that he is healthy mm-hmm. because even at 70%, he can do something that can change a game. And then you've got one more spot for and someone that's going to be attack-minded, and it comes down to... Probably David Akam, Fabian Herbers, and Jay Simpson. And, you know, if you got to choose, Jay Simpson is not only the leading scorer among that contingent this season, uh, but is also the most in form of that contingent, which is, again, I, <laughs> again, I should, be wearing, I should be wearing a hat to keep my head in from exploding. <laughs> but that's a possibility. So, yeah, you could see. And remember, Jim Curtin in the past has done some um, unconventional things with his uh, his roster in the finals but you know? it's not He's brought in john mccarthy for a penalty yeah. shootout he mm. brought in he put pedro ribeiro in the 2014 open cup uh squad with pedro having played i think i think having made his mls debut a month prior and having never played in the open cup before and the guy could have guy was six inches away from winning that game no. so you know let it roll i guess yeah and he had two goals what's yeah. crazy about rewarding had, had a guy that came off a two-goal game two well-taken goals I think brought a good mentality even in that Seattle game where okay yeah his first touch when trying to hold up play was not great yeah let's let's put that out there but That's hustled the guy that also hasn't played a first team game in a year right, right. but so. but hustled and and I I don't necessarily know that you're going to if you're going to deploy him in Houston to try and win a cup it's not going to be 
because you're going to bring him in in the 82nd minute and say, hey, hold the ball up and help us uh, relieve pressure. That's not going to be his job. But But if if, if for some reason they go down a goal, they go down two goals, and they need to push or something, though, I mean, it's better to have a striker on the bench than not. I I mean, I'd rather have his kind of directness than maybe Fabian Herbers. Yeah. I think I I agree. I think between those three guys, and I I think it's a a tough race between Jay Simpson and David Cobb. And I want to point out that this is a good conversation to have. Yeah. We're not talking – like if you six months ago had said, so the Union are going to be in the Open Cup final and you're debating whether or not to have Jay Simpson on the bench, I would have thought, oh, God, things have gone <laughs> <laughs> But this is actually a good right. conversation yeah. to have because he's in form, because you know the response of the team yesterday to his goal, I don't, you know, some of the things that were posted on Instagram about – you know what Jay has done behind the scenes yeah. and continuing to work and continuing to fight for his place even though it, it wasn't happening for him I, I don't think this team needs necessarily a lightning rod because of the form that they're in but he kind of is that a little bit I mean guys were genuinely thrilled for him that he scored and you see you see it directly on that second goal where Bedoya mm-hmm. can try and do any number of things to get the ball uh past the goalie there but instead he just you know Dinks it off to Jay Simpson and easy as you like. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's. I think it it, it speaks about where this team's at mentally. I think they they're. And we talked about. I, I remember ask, asking Harris about it. Like everybody seems to have their role. Their role is very well defined, and majority of the players are playing it, and that helps. And if Jay's role was to be that guy in practice. And to work hard in practice and hope for his opportunity, he lived within that role and he was rewarded. Again, he was rewarded with a start and he bagged two goals. So I think when everybody is on the same page and everybody knows what they're doing and what's expected of them, that helps a team immensely. And it it seems like what's happening with this team right now. Absolutely. We got, uh, you know, uh, I talked to CJ Sapong today at at Union Training and he mentioned. You know what that mentality and that strength is like, and I think part of it is this group being galvanized by those early season struggles and kind of being, uh, you know, having that shell form around them and being a little bit of us against the world. But I also think that it's a locker room that the guys genuinely like each other and mm-hmm. like fighting yeah. for each other, and that's important. There's some groups that are, um, you know, there's some different nuclei in the locker room that just naturally kind of forms whether you have some young homegrowns or some MLS veterans or some European guys, but they all seem to mesh really well together. And mm-hmm. and that's part of this kind of belief of, you know, we're looking at a union, we're looking at the union heading into a U.S. Open Cup final where they are the better team. Yes. And that's not something that we can say about either of the previous two games. And I think you have the potential of them heading into a playoff game where, you know, if if somehow NYCFC slips... Uh, you can make the argument that they're going to be in better form than NYCFC going into a playoff game. I don't know if Columbus has the medal to kind of get up again, you know, right. get up and pass them. But you have they have this mentality, and even if it's against Columbus, it's at the very least a coin flip, if not, you know, maybe a little bit of an edge to the way that the Union are mm-hmm. playing. So they are in good form now, and they're in good form not because of luck or nicking results here or there or. You know, SKC decided to come east and, and leave all of its star players. They're honest to goodness beating full strength teams. Yeah. 
And that informs a huge mentality going into the Open Cup final. And it's a, it's a cliche, but I don't think teams want to play the Union right now. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so. And, and I think that's a testament to the way Curtin has coached them and the way that they choose to play high pressure. Uh, you know, they do a good job of that. It's not mm-hmm. to the, I don't think it's to the extent uh, or the proficiency that, you know, vintage uh, Red Bulls is during the Jesse Marsh era. But they are difficult to play against. They have guys who can finish chances. They create a ton of chances. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty good defense. They're fairly physical. They have a great goalie. And I think importantly, too, they've they've found out it within themselves that they can beat teams in front of them, which was a struggle in the, the first half of the season. But I think if you go back to the NYCFC home game, that's kind of where it starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get You get a win against a team further up the table, and then since then, you've had wins in Seattle, you've had wins in D.C., you've had KC come in here as the Western Conference leaders, and you've beaten them with a reserve team. I mean, that all of that speaks to confidence, and I think the, the Montreal game is kind of a blip on the, the radar where everything seemed to go wrong. And, yeah, and I, I, mean, I, I think— I don't want to make excuses for that game, but I think in past seasons, we've seen that turn into a, a, a week fall. where they get no points yeah, right. out of two away games instead of six points out of— <laughs> two really good opponents. And I, yeah. I think it's the exception that proves the rule, is that they had that bad performance, but they didn't really let it drag them down. Yeah. And even if, you know, even if they go to Seattle and get the, even if Stefan Fry doesn't have whatever happened in his <laughs> mind that tries that pass to Svensson and Pico doesn't uh, pick it off and, and make that great finish, even if they just get one point from that trip, yeah, that's still That was still redemption percent. because they, they had played much better in that game. And had a goal taken off the board. Right, yeah. right. Uh, wrongly, probably, but yeah, I think it, it was, was close. It was close. Off, yeah. uh, I want to talk about Fafa Pico for a minute. What what's his ceiling? Because I think if he could sort out what he does in the final third, that's it. He could be <laughs> an exceptional player in this league. Yep. I think without it, I don't know who the coach is going to be, but I, I would be extremely disappointed. If you're a an American watcher of MLS, if he's mm. not in the January camp, I think he's absolutely right. done enough. But, he's sixth, I think, right now, fifth or sixth in MLS in terms of goals scored among uh, Americans, yeah. and he is the only non out and out number nine among those. I mean, you've got Dom Dwyer ahead of him. Uh, I don't think Josie's ahead of him because of the injuries and uh, all the stuff going on right. in Toronto. Jesse Zardes is ahead of him. Christian Ramirez. But you know, for a winger to be doing that, he's got speed that translates to the next level. He is, for an American player, very technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about that Fry goal is that that's his big bugaboo, is when he creates one-on-one v one situations or 1v0 situations against a goalie, he hasn't always finished. I think mm-hmm. the Montreal game last year sticks out as right. he had one or two of those that could have put that game away. But for him to, to start taking that next step is huge. And um, we were discussing this earlier. That second goal that Simpson scores, if you watch that back, that's all made by that Pico pass. Oh, he holds it up so well on the wing. Exactly, and he cuts in on his left foot and hits that ball so fast and so precisely that the the Kansas City defense is frozen momentarily, which keeps them onside. They can't step. That is a. I I honestly did not know that Fafa could hit a ball like that on his left. That is a sublime ball for him to hit. But yeah, his uh, to answer your original question, his ceiling. I I know that there's a youth movement going on with the U.S. and mm-hmm. I know that you know Timothy Weah plays roughly the position that uh, that Fafa Pico plays, but I don't see why he can't be a guy who can you know 
yeah. be part of it. I think right. he's a guy that can go be in the conversation. At yeah, least. and if if you know some of the talented young guys, I, maybe they don't have the medal yet to go into Honduras yeah. and get a tough result. Piz- I think Fafa does. I think what you have with him, he makes what the union does work really well because you have that right-sided imbalance where you have, you know, Dutch Kell who who cheats to the right, you have Bedoya who's naturally pulls to the right, and you have a really good, you know, right back where Fafa just thrives being by himself, thrives being a one-on-one guy, wants to be out on that island where when they had a calm out there, that just didn't work, where – Fafa has that kind of that swagger to him where I want to take a guy on. I want to beat him. That makes this imbalance work in it, a way. It but, does, but not to the extent, but not at the expense of a guy who can also tuck in and play one, two right. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He, right, he exactly, brings yeah. both. And when you have a guy who can stretch the field both horizontally by bringing his defender out to the touchline and opening that pocket for Dolchkel to run into or for Corey Burke to run off someone's shoulder and also stretch the field vertically. I mean, there's not a lot. There's not a ton of guys in MLS who do that effectively, and you know, it's interesting that they're playing Columbus up next. Pedro Santos does that a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's got one goal in almost thirty <laughs> yeah. games. I mean, to do that and to be a finisher, mm-hmm. which Pico has kind of become, right. he's got fifteen goals in two seasons. I mean, that's that's good finishing. Yeah. I, th- I think that is good finishing, but I think you said it when you asked, you asked your original question is. He needs to sort himself out still in the final third mm-hmm. to, I think, take that next step to to be more involved in the the conversation for the the national team because he he has the seven goals this year. I, he has a handful of assists. I'm not sure the number, um, but it should be more. Mm-hmm. Sh- he should have probably yeah. three to five more assists. He should probably have at least three more goals. And it's it's not for lack of being in the right place. It's for doing the right thing when he gets there. But he's getting there though. But he's making. Yeah. I think he's making strides to get there. And like like you said, he he just. Um, like Matt said, he just pounced on that ball in Seattle yeah. and made the right well, choice. I mean, that's what they always say about the fast guys, though, is you can't teach pace. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And there's no. always a room for that guy on the field. It Absolutely. Is, it is amazing that Seattle goal, when you free, and I, I wrote about this, but when you freeze the frame of when Fry kicks the ball, Pico's not in the frame <laughs> at all. Svensson is, and then there's about 10 or 12 yards of green space further upfield, and Pico's not even in the picture. He probably closed down at least 12 to 15 yards on Svensson in the time it took Fry's kick to cover probably 22 yards. I mean, that's ridiculous. It, it's, that's ludicrous. It's like world-class speed. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. world-class speed right there. It's, it's yeah. It, and, I, and the other thing with him is that, and I think this speaks to character and competitiveness and a certain blue-collar mentality, seven of his eight goals have been on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he scores a big goal in Orlando. He scores a, a big goal in Houston. I believe he scored in Chicago. He scored a bunch of different. He scores in DC. Yeah. He scores. Mm-hmm. He has scored in a bunch of different difficult places to play. That's important. I, and I, th- I don't think that's, that's a, a coincidence. Thing, that's a thing a coach loves. That's a thing because he's you know he's giving you. That's like bonus. He's giving you bonus scoring on the on the road like that. It's, it's great. Um, so let's talk about Wednesday. Uh, this is different than, as Matt kind of touched on. This is different than the other two Cup finals in that the Union have a full head of steam. And those other two times was the only thing the union were playing for at the, by that point in the season. That's not true now. I think they're a confident team. They, they, they believe they're going to get in the playoffs. And I think they believe they're going to win Wednesday. 
What do we think? I think they're going to win too. Yeah. Um, I, we we talked a little bit about this before we went on, and I agree with all of that. I think they are a better team than Houston, which is very different. And having the momentum of this week, I think, has to be a huge help. I mean, if if you lose to Montreal and then you go out and you, you lose to Seattle and you lose to Kansas City or you don't have a good performance against Kansas City, I think this Wednesday becomes a lot tougher. But I, I do think that they can go to Houston and win. I, I think it's going to be a difficult game tactically because I do think Houston is going to take the, the Montreal mm-hmm. blueprint of how to beat the Union, and they're going to sit deep. They're going to try mm-hmm. to counterattack, and they're going to force the Union to break them down. And they're also going to force the Union to defend them probably 3v3, mm-hmm. 3v2. So I think that's going to that's gonna be difficult, but I, I they should win. I think I, I agree. Tactically, it's going to be difficult. I think that the Union are going to benefit from that Montreal game and that they're going to kind of adjust from some of those mistakes. Yeah. And I think that might be a little bit of a blessing for their preparation of okay, we can't we can't do this. And I think uh, you know, Elise and Kyoto are, are similar to the way Silva and Piatti kind of attack. Yeah. Um and I do think that you are going to get into those kind of fragmented, you know, where, where it's uh, Jim Curtin's going to want to avoid this obviously, but it happens a lot in Houston games where it's, you know, lump the ball forward and your five attackers go against their five to Defenders clear it. Their five attackers go against you. You know, it's almost like a mm-hmm. you know, it's a back and forth pickup game. Um, but I think the union maybe have a little bit of an advantage on both sides of that. I think their their defense can kind of remedy that. I, I think they have the physicality, and I think as long as you know Keegan Rosenberry and Ray Gaddis, both of whom are rested, have good games, I think they can kind of uh, mitigate some of those threats of those wingers. And I think they can definitely break down a Houston defense that, yes, it's coming off of a clean sheet uh, against Orlando, but on the other hand, Orlando's a, a not USL team right now <laughs> that has won once in its last long a while, time. A while. Yeah. So, but I, I think the bigger part of this is the mentality aspect. We talked to Jim Curtin today, uh, Monday after training, and he said, you know, he he fully admitted that in that 2014 season, they were just happy to be here. His exact words were that. And in 2015, yeah, they were an okay team, but they had never gotten it figured out in the league. And Sporting Kansas City was a team that at that point had won an Open Cup, mm-hmm. had was less than two years removed from uh, winning MLS Cup. They were just a better team. And both times it was always, well, maybe we can steal one. We're at home, the atmosphere, the this, the that. Now they go down there and they are – if not the favorite, they are the better team. They're playing better. They're the more talented team. I think they're the stronger mentality team that you know understands what it's trying to do more than Houston does. Maybe although Houston with its counterattack is one thing, but they haven't. They've kind of resisted that a little bit this year, and they've tried to play. They've tried to be a possession team, and that hasn't worked. Yeah. So I think this is fundamentally different than the other two games, which obviously the Union are hoping because of how those games ended. And I. Th- I think the fact that it's on the road probably isn't as big a factor because they they've turned into a decent road team. Yeah, and they're not. I wonder if it does help a little bit lessen the pressure too. I mm-hmm. mean, to, those the two Open Cup games in Philadelphia were massive games. Yeah. because there was not much to play for in those seasons, and I, I feel like there were great atmospheres at the stadium. Probably some of the best that yeah. have ever been there. Seattle game certainly. Yeah, yeah very loud. But I mean. I think that there was a pressure that came with that, of hosting that game. Oh, for sure. I yeah. mean, you're going to be, like you said, that was your season. That was 
all the eggs were in that basket. And not to say that there's not pressure on this game because I don't yeah. think for any any reason that the union want to be three time open cup losers. No, no, no. Nobody wants to add distinction. But but yeah, I think maybe you go out there, you're home, you're a little tight, you want to do that little extra for the crowd and and it forces you to make a couple mistakes and it forces you to be in here you can, you know, put the pressure on Houston. It certainly you, doesn't you hurt be, that they've already won in Houston this year. Yeah. Right. Uh, this this will be the time that I jump in and be that guy and and, and plug the fact. That's that, why we bring you in because you, you are that guy. And and plug the fact that's actually on my resume. <laughs> that guy, you know what it means. If you're interested, you know what it means. Um, but Dave Zeitlin and I at the Athletic actually put together an oral history of uh, that 2014 Open Cup, which was kind of a fun project. And mm-hmm. you know what an interesting night that was. And uh, I think yeah, some of the things that you guys said, and Jim Curtin even said it today, of like. You know, they're kind of in this rhythm now where with the five games in 15 days, they don't have a lot of time to think about these things. In the past, the Open Cup has been, you know, after the international break or they've had a longer lead in mm-hmm. or when it was, the you know, when it was the first one in 2014, it was new. So it was this big event. And then in 2015, you know, you have all the local history aspect to it and, you know, the Bethlehem Steel jerseys and this and that. Now it's just kind of okay, well, we just had a game, get on a plane, hurry up, let's go there, refresh. And there's not, really not a lot of time to think yeah. about it. And there are so many factors that do play in the union's favor. I mean, they're 8-1-1 one, and one this year in games that are midweek, Wednesday or Tuesday. They've won six of their last eight games. They've won, I think, five of their last – I think they're 5-1-1 one, and one in their last seven mm-hmm. road games or something like that. Yeah. It's ridiculous dating back to the Chicago game, which includes that win over Houston, which obviously can't take too – can't read too much into because there was that red card on Thomas Martinez that was later rescinded. They still won the game though. Yeah. They did. They, I they think did. that's the important thing there. And I, I agree. I think. That and I believe it was one. Was it one one when the red card? I think it happened? was one one. Yeah. And then they go on to win three one. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things pointing in their favor, and there's a lot of things pointing at the fact that this game is different in that mentality aspect of, you know, they don't have to host. They don't have to. You know, they don't have to have it be all about them, not mm-hmm. that, you know, the media coverage is closing in or anything like right. that. But they can just kind of go and be out of their element and just be another game and another mm-hmm. business trip. And I think they've done such a good job of that this year. Um, let me ask you this question, Matt. Mike and I talked about I, I brought this up last time we recorded. If they win this game, they get into the CONCACAF Champions League, correct? Uh, I, yes. I'm, I'm not sure it's a... Uh, no, I, I believe the Open Cup. Uh, yeah, they yeah the Open Cup winner does get a. You, yeah, 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 you go right. In. There is some. I mean, there are some conditions for redundancy. So, like, if someone wins the double, right, for instance, or someone wins a supporter shield, then you go to the next team down. I think on the league. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how that hierarchy works, right, but, but yes, they would make the Champions League. Does that change what they do front office wise philosophically? Because you're going to be in three competitions now next year. Mm-hmm. And just, again, to be that guy myself, the only black cloud over what the union are doing is they just have a near-terminal lack of depth. I mean, Sunday's game yeah. not, notwithstanding, you don't have a like-for-like like for Dutch Cal. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't even you have, have a Dutch Cal after the season, theoretically. You have, yeah, you have El Seno, but yeah. but Right. Um, you had the you know, dust off Jay Simpson for the first time in a long time to get him out there. And it worked out great. It could have gone the other way, though, but it worked out great. Yeah. So you, you, It you, was his first start in 14 months. Exactly. Yeah. So you were, you were perilously thin as a team, and you are one really bad injury away from maybe this house of cards going down. You're in three comp- – okay, you win. You're in three competitions next year. 
you know, for all the philosophical talk about, you know, youth academy, build from within, do this, do that, do the other thing. There's day-to-day reality of that. Mm-hmm. Does that change who they are? That's actually, well, so yes, it does. And I think it comes with certain allowances for extra AMs. You get, uh, you get extra <laughs> TAM. You get GAM and TAM and you get, MLS all that stuff. You get C- you, you Champions get League. Champions get, League allocation money, so you, you get you clams. Get, you, you, <laughs> clams. You get some clams. Um, actually, it's get inter- out. Just it's, get out. Uh, Just get out. <laughs> it's it's interesting because I actually thought with the Casper Prisbilko mm-hmm. uh, signing that that was kind of a, a hedge for uh, for Champions League. Okay, someone like that is kind of an interesting feature. Right. I think it does change in some ways uh, a little bit of the viewpoint if they were to get there. I think it also opens more opportunities for homegrown players, okay. which is really important. And yeah, now I, I, I'm not saying they become NYCFC where they have no, but I also Uko. don't think they go to the other side and become Red Bulls where they're just going to throw, you know, mm-hmm. where Matt Real is going to captain the side in Panama City and right. come what may. <laughs> I, I think it does for. I think if this happens, and right now this is all hypothetical, but it would force some changes in the mentality of of Jim Curtin. I think it would force some changes in a little bit of uh, some of the the way that they use their depth. But mm-hmm. I also think it could be a net positive because yeah. how many times have we seen guys have good performances in the Open Cup and then all of a sudden this guy starts playing in MLS? Yeah. And I think you could do the same thing with Champions League of, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you talk about guys like Matt Real or Anthony Fontana and, you know, they need to get games, they need to get game experience. Well, you know, if you got to go to, uh, you know, Honduras yeah. on yeah. a Tuesday – you're going to get a lot of experience, <laughs> and you're going to get it quickly. Yeah. Got it all um, at once. Yes. Yeah. You're going to get experience literally pelted at you. <laughs> so I think it would be helpful in that regard. Yeah. And I think it you know, I think it probably elevates the profile of the club, too, in yeah, an important sure. way. You know, if you're going to, you know, your, your name's going to be out there more. And if you were looking to recruit talent from places in in Central and, mm-hmm. and North America, then w- maybe that helps, yeah, too. Which they have in... You know, since now, with since the, ex- the Ernie, with era. the exception of doing well in Jamaica, they really yeah. haven't done. They haven't really made a ton of inroads into you know Central yeah. America all that much. Um, yeah, I, I think you know, you know, again, we we talked a little bit about this, but I think they're they're just so much on this on this cost of of becoming a different team of the franchise becoming a different team just by kind of. Going out there and you know making the playoffs and possibly getting a home playoff game, possibly winning it, and winning the Open Cup, where you're shifting from, you know, not having a lot of relevance to MLS to kind of moving into that next tier. I mean, they're not yeah. in the Atlanta tier yet. They're not kind of you know in, in the gal as bad as the Galaxy have been. They're still the Galaxy, and they still are you know a marquee franchise. You're not in that tier yet, but you can make that next step though. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're ever going to be in that tier, because that tier has a prohibitively high cost of admission. Yeah. But I think they can be in the tier of Sporting KC. Sporting KC's salary budget isn't ludicrous. No. But they have. Uh, Jonathan Tanwalt and I were discussing it. Is how they find so many of these players. Like uh, you know, Felipe Gutierrez is a good player, and uh, you know, uh, Gerson Fernandez is a good mm-hmm. player. But they just plug them into an existing structure right. of, you know, Seth Sinovich and Matt Beasler and Ike Parra and Graham Zuzzi and Roger Espinoza have been there for conservatively 93 years. <laughs> and then you just keep putting these pieces right. into them. Right. And then 
you know, eventually one of those guys is going to go away, but you have another, you you mm-hmm. know, you have no someone else that's already there. Yeah. And I think that's what they want to be able to do is, you know, you can have Keegan Rosenberry and, uh, you know, Trusty and Jack Elliott or Mark McKenzie and Bedoya and, and these guys and mm-hmm. they're the spine and then you're able to continue to add pieces into it. And, yeah. you know, I think that's what they they want to be able to do. And this would be another step towards that of kind of further growing what that spine is. Yeah. Plus, uh, it, plus it gives you a chance to do the, the KYW soccer show live in Managua. Yeah. Which I hear is very nice <laughs> and much. Yes. Well, you know, We've always good. wanted to do away days in Costa Rica. Well, I hope yes. go to Kingston. That would be fun. I, I, yeah. I have been to Costa Rica and it is wonderful. So yeah. if – if we can move the studio if down there for a day. To Saprissa. Absolutely. I'll tap the whole Philly soccer page contingency budget, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 <laughs> wow. Sorry. Let's start I, working on the boss thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to wrap it up soon. Um, what will, Anything else we need to touch on, fellas? I, it, it's amazing to me that we haven't talked about the game in Columbus next Saturday. Yeah, that's almost that's an afterthought, a, but well, it's a huge. huge game. But it's huge because that's a, that's like a six one, pointer. One, one point behind Columbus yeah. with a chance to go in front of them. NYC is really on the skids too. Yeah. I mean, so that, if you yeah. would have told me a month ago that we'd talk about Columbus yeah. and possibly the Union catching up to NYC, I would have said no, no way. But it's very plausible with right. with right. And Columbus that, only being three and Philly that, being four behind. I mean, that turns like into a six pointer. It turns and you could you know put more distance. You know, against Montreal and all, and everybody behind. I think DC's faltered here and there, so I don't know if they can make that leap. But yeah, you have got two games at hand. Yeah, which is freaking hate the schedule. It's a stupid stadium. So <laughs> you, you 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 have some. You could put them the people behind you at arm's length now, and then you you get ahead of Columbus. Yeah, that's great. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and and the schedule and the the way out's not yeah not awful either. I mean, you're you're hosting Minnesota. Yeah, you have to uh, go to NYC be, on the last day of the season. Uh, yeah, you've yeah, got a tough Red game Bulls. against Red Bulls. You've Red got, Bulls might be done by then, though. Red Bull, yeah, that game might. Uh, you know, if they, if you know, you got to root for Atlanta this week. But if they lose to Atlanta, their supporter shield chase is pretty much over. And I right. think that they're, you know, they're not going to NYC is not going to overtake them. So they're pretty much locked. They could be right. locked into number two, the number two spot by the end of this week. And if that's the case, then. You know, maybe they take that trip a little lightly and and gear up for the next week. That way, they can get into into shape and stuff like. It's going to be weird coming off the international break and all that kind of stuff. But you know, you never know. And I, I think if uh, if the Union beat Minnesota, which based on what we've seen, there should be no reason why they don't beat Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Then I think you would need DC. DC would need to go something like four one and one in the finish, and the Union would have to get zero points the rest of the way. In order for them to catch them, right? And those are two unlikely scenarios. So, you know, I think they're kind of in good shape. I, I I don't know how much planning has gone into Columbus just yet. I know Jack Elliott's going to be suspended for yellow card accumulation yeah. or for the mm-hmm. red card or whatever, whichever one comes last. Um, but I think the hope is that you're just going to kind of slide to Columbus on the you know with the wind underneath your wings of having won a, a an open cup. And I think that's kind of the plan for that, which, you know, if that happens, then you can kind of let it ride a little bit in, in Columbus. Yeah, I don't I don't it's it's tough because I, I don't think that there's there's an expectation in Columbus, but it is a massive game, too. 
yeah. it's, it's it's a really it's a tough scenario this week. Yeah, no, it, it's and and there's going to be an emotional come down coming off of Wednesday, you know, regardless. regardless of how the game. Oh yeah, goes. yeah, and and you and you know again, you'll have that time to process it because you know, you're back Thursday. But you know, do you know, do you know how kinda, they're traveling? I kind of think that is beneficial yeah. that they don't. Uh, I'm told that they're chartering back after they're chartering back Wednesday night. Yeah. Oh, after the so final. So they are coming back. To okay, I was curious if they might just go to Columbus. No, yeah. I thought that originally too, but I think they're chartering back from Houston uh, to Philly in the wee hours of Thursday morning, okay. and then they left uh, for Houston today. They yeah. left for Houston. We're today. recording this on Monday, yeah. Mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much time they're that they're going to have to process that. I think eventually it's going to dawn on everyone that at some point it looks like they are going to have to win in Columbus. Yeah. They're going to either have to do it this week, yeah. and if they do it this week, then they won't have to do it in the playoffs, and then Columbus will have to win here. Right. Or if they don't win in Columbus this time, they're going to have to do it in the playoffs, yeah. probably in that 4-5 game. Yeah. So one way or the other, I feel like they probably are eventually going to know that they have to win in Columbus. And I think the Union have the fitness this week of, you know, with all the guys that rested on Saturday— yeah. You should have a first choice team available. You do against Columbus. You do against Columbus. You you know you're going to have Harris, who's going to be rested. You're going to have all the wingers rested. Corey Burke's going to be rested. Most of the back line's going to be rested. You're going to have a tired Trusty. Um, but you know you can ask Keith. Tr- Trusty is a machine, though. Tr- I don't, I'm not sure that kid's been human. This year. year old kid, he's, man, he could go all night. Well, he's turned he, he twenty, could, but still, I mean, seriously, it doesn't go, go downhill to your twenty-two. <laughs> he's he's twenty, so he you know right. he's kind of it's going to be him and McKenzie on Saturday. So McKenzie yeah. will be rested at the very mm-hmm. least, and you know you figure it out with Gaddis and Fabinho and and Rosenberry and all that kind of stuff. So I think you can kind of figure it out a little bit. And yeah. like like Curtin said this week, the guys on the bench, you know what? If Harris is gassed. Throwing Creval and yeah. it's going to change the squad a little bit, but not a ton. Yeah. If Ali can only give you seven, if Ali hits the wall in Columbus after seventy minutes, and you bring on Derek Jones, yeah, who's yeah, who's and, and, been you're, good. T- and you're tied one one yeah. at that point, you're confident that Jones can can do the job. Yeah. All right. Wow. Let's uh, wrap it up there, uh, Matt the George. From the Delco Times, you're going to be in Houston. I so. will be in Houston. Me and Peter Andrews will be in Houston. I'm sure that oh, you Peter will see. And, yeah. yeah, Philly soccer page. Yeah. So. I'm sure you will see this smiling mug in a in a Facebook Live um, that you will put on in the background and only listen to instead of looking at. Um, <laughs> hey. But I probably will be there. Uh, I will be there with right. Peter and uh, a couple of other people that are traveling down. What sounds like a, a couple hundred sons of Ben that will be down huh. there and other fans. So yeah. that'll be good. Well, it's, hopefully, next time we record, we're talking about a cup. Yeah. All right. Uh, Well, thank you guys for joining me. We'll catch everybody next time.